This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. Our guest today is Grant Woods. He is a former Arizona Attorney General. He's a former McCain staffer. He's even a former KTAR host. Um, but he's invited today for a somewhat different reason. Uh, that's a duel. Number one, he is a former Republican, which may give him some insight into our topic. And he's a thoughtful person who I thought has something to say that might be able to explain a little bit about our current political dilemma. It has been four weeks since the election, an election that was not close. The electoral vote margin was 306 to 232. That was the exact numbers that Donald Trump four years ago described as a landslide. But the 7 million vote margin is bigger than most recent presidential elections, bigger than 92 Clinton, bigger than George W. Bush both times, bigger than Jimmy Carter's victory, almost as big as Reagan's 1980 victory. Still, almost all elected Republicans are terrified to utter the words, and I quote President-elect Biden. Who has stood up to Donald Trump? Senator McCain did. Senator, now former Senator Flake did. Once in a while, Mitt Romney, tepidly, but sometimes. Uh, No governors, with the exception of Maryland's Governor Hogan. Uh, Grant, you're a former Republican. You've got to know a lot of these folks. Uh, What's going on? At least at a minimum, elected Republicans seem paralyzed by fear. Yeah, Mike, I I, it's disappointing, uh, but um, I guess probably not surprising in in that in my experience, um, politicians uh, in both parties, their their main goal is to stay in office. That's that's what that, that that's really uh, their priority. Um, and uh, very few people are willing to do what Jeff Flake did, which is risk your seat uh, on principle. And um, he's a very smart guy. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that it would be very difficult for him if he spoke out against Trump on principle and on um, on character issues. And uh, and yet he did it. Um, very few people are willing to do that because this is the biggest deal in their lives and this is where they want to be. And uh, so they're not they're not going to do that. The problem with Trump uh, now is that um, these he's pretty much paralyzed the party and the uh, office holders in that they don't know what's going to happen next with him. Um, He's, I I think it's likely that he will say that he is uh, a likely or probable candidate for president in 2024. He'll still continue to say that he got cheated somehow or uh, he didn't really lose. And that just freezes the field because now, um, you know, he can he can maintain that influence. So that's the problem. Are they are they going to be willing to speak up and say it's time to move on? Uh, Trump lost. He obviously lost. It was very clear. There's uh, no voter fraud here uh, in this election or, frankly, in most any election in the United States. Uh, But people will probably be tepid and consequently he'll be able to run wild for a while longer. 
That's the problem, I think. Do you think, does anything happen that changes this dynamic when he's no longer president? Because uh, you alluded to post-presidency things. That's running, throwing out at least the possibility that he would run again. I assume the implicit threat that I'm going to run into your state and I'm going to campaign for uh, a primary opponent against somebody I don't like. And so it, it seems like this doesn't end with his presidency. I, I, I don't think it does end with his presidency. I think that's the, the dilemma they've created. Uh, it's like Frankenstein's monster, you know, uh, you have to, uh, you, you shouldn't create things like that uh, or else you, uh, they can quickly get out of control. I think that's the problem they have uh, right now. But what could change? Um, I think the main thing that could change is if he's prosecuted uh, criminally and um, convicted, uh, then uh, I think that would be the end of him. And uh, if that happens, then that'll be, that it won't end it until he's actually convicted and sentenced. But um, barring that, I think they're just going to have to deal with him for a while. And that's a big problem, I think. Well, let me, since you raised that issue, let me ask you to put on your former AG and attorney hat. Um, what's the legality of a self-pardon? Well, you know, um, uh, we don't know whether you can pardon yourself. Uh, it's never been tested. Uh, the the founding fathers, I'm confident, never contemplated that this was a possibility. Uh, so we don't know. But I think it, I think implicit in the language and uh, the clear reading of uh, of the Constitution and uh, and and what pardons are all about is that you could not pardon yourself. So the way that would play out is if he was charged with a crime, uh, if he pardoned himself and then he was charged with a federal crime um, where a pardon would prevent prosecution, then that would be tested in the court. So I think that's possible. We could, we could see that. Uh, if you're him, um, why wouldn't you? You know, he doesn't really care if, if you haven't noticed about norms or doing things uh, the way... Um, the the way everybody else does them uh, so i don't I, I fully anticipate he'll he'll pardon more of his friends and family and himself i i don't think I, I think it's also fair to say i don't think the founding fathers ever envisioned the parting ever being used to pardon people who were complicit in activities surrounding the president it was supposed to be as i understood it the ultimate act of mercy or in a case where somebody was prosecuted according to the law, but at some level was a gross injustice. But it was, I don't think anybody ever thought through the issue of what if the president is himself involved in this? No, they, I, I agree with you. I don't think they did, they did either. And yet um, it's, it's, it's and, and this hasn't really been tested up to the Supreme Court either. But I, I, again, if you just go on, on uh, plain language, it seems that they, they, the founding fathers gave the president pretty um, far-reaching power here to pardon whoever he wants of federal crimes. So that would not, um, that would not include, uh, obviously, uh, state or local crimes. And right now, it appears uh, clear that he's under investigation in a variety of jurisdictions. And it would not surprise me if he was charged with crimes in in New York, uh, perhaps in D.C. and New York City. 
I, I think um, I think that's likely. Um, whether or not any the uh, uh, federal government, the Justice Department would seek to um, to go after him for crimes committed in office and, and perhaps test this self-pardon. I, I think that, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I do believe that the president-elect will completely pass on that and let that uh, decision be made by the Justice Department, as it should be. But I, I think his inclination generally would be to move on. And uh, he, we've got enough problems in the country without having that sideshow um, uh, created. Uh, arguing against that, though, would be that you're going to have a sideshow no matter what. So it's not like Nixon. You know, when, when Ford pardoned Nixon, that was controversial, but he did it because he wanted the country to be free to move on and not have a Nixon charge and trial uh, going on, distracting everybody. That worked because Nixon went to San Clemente and he stayed there. And that's about the last we heard uh, from him for a while. Uh, that's not going to be the case with Trump. So I don't know. I think these are tough decisions that people are going to have to make. And I imagine ultimately they'll put the politics aside and they'll just make them based upon the law. We'll be back with Grant Woods in just a moment in the think tank. The think tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We have been talking with Grant Woods, a former uh, Republican attorney general of the state of Arizona, among other things. And we've been talking about kind of the the situation that we're in uh, vis-a-vis the, frankly, the fear that that many or most elected Republican officials seem to have of of the repercussions of crossing uh, Donald Trump. Uh, David Brooks wrote a column uh, recently and cited a a Monmouth University survey with with the following facts. 77% of Trump backers said Joe Biden had won the presidential election because of fraud. Many of these same people think climate change is not real. Many of the same people don't listen to scientific experts on how to prevent the coronavirus. And 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 Brooks' conclusion: We live in a country, an epistemological crisis in which many of the Republican Party have become detached from reality. He goes on. He may, he says this is an international problem. All around the world, right-wing populist parties are floating on oceans of misinformation and falsehood. The question to you is: How does democracy survive that what appears to be the death of truth? We used to. We used to at least agree on a common set of facts, even if we disagreed about what they meant. Right. Well, I think uh, that's a real problem. And um, uh, David Brooks is a great writer, and um, uh, I usually find myself in in agreement with him. I think this is a real challenge, and it's going to be a challenge for the president-elect to lead a country. And he's certainly going to do everything he can to try to bring people together. But that's very difficult if we can't even agree on what the issue is, uh, much less what the solution is. So I think um, I think the way that that happens is oh, it takes some time, and it takes time for hopefully for the rhetoric to cool down and for people to um, to see that uh, that 
in, even though um, uh, you may not have voted for the president-elect Biden, um, that he's a good guy and he's trying hard and and um, and maybe he's doing some good things. And uh, as time goes on and you see that, then you're less likely to just be consumed with this sort of um, fact-free rhetoric. Um, that's a challenge, though, because now uh, uh, we're in a situation where people get their information um, primarily from those who are saying what they want to hear. And um, we've never had that before. Uh, and, you know, that, that'll be a continuing challenge. I just think it's going to take some time here. And, um, and we'll just have to see. Uh, I, I don't think ultimately there's any future. I will say this. I don't think there's a future in the Republican Party for this sort of fact-free, angry, hate, um, ideology or rhetoric. Uh, they will go right down the tubes uh, if they continue with this. And that would be a shame. I am a lifelong Republican, but that was because of people like Barry Goldwater and John McCain and um, some of the great leaders, George H.W. Bush, people like that, Ronald Reagan, uh, not because of the, uh, you know, Sidney Powell's and Kelly Ward's. There's no, there's no future in that. You know, I, I want to leave you with a, a, a really a kind of a, a scary thought. I think a slightly less flawed authoritarian probably would have would. If you started with a Donald Trump and you took out several elements that were not at all necessary to his core uh, constituencies, the attacks on Jane Mc, John McCain, which were personal but did him no good, characterizing the military as losers and suckers, coming down on the disabled. He could have been anti-immigration without the cruelty of separating babies from their mothers at the border. If you took out those things, I think he probably would have won. We got a minute and a half. Your, what, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think uh, that's something that that we all have to think about. And people on the right and the left need to think about that. Um, are, are we that susceptible to, um, to an authoritarian um, uh, government? And um, this was a real wake-up call. I think we've looked at other authoritarian governments around the world and in history, and we've said, how could that happen? How did they let that happen there? And we've said that all of our lives, right? <laughs> and yet, We also said it couldn't happen here. Yes, we did. And now here we are after all these years and we have to say, you know what, it could happen there. So I think, uh, I think that means that we have to, you have to stay engaged, you have to stay in the fight and you have to um, speak out against lies and falsehoods and stand up for our basic American institutions and our basic American values. Uh, that's the, the less the, my takeaway lesson. It, it scares me to my core, which is um, that this was kind of won by a threat. Now, this is a seven million vote. It was a big margin. But as I said, if you took away some of the self-destructive aspects of sure. Trump and left intact the core authoritarian beliefs, uh, I, I don't have time to let you respond, but I will let you respond after the break. And we'll return with uh, in the think tank and uh, be back in just a moment with Grant Woods.
Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are here talking to Grant Woods about the future of the Republican Party, the future of our democracy. And I I, I sort of left it hanging a little bit. I I, I posed a suggestion without giving him a chance to respond when when we ran out of time. Roughly what I said is if you took out some of the sort of unnecessary, self-destructive aspects of the Trump campaign, including the gratuitous attacks on John McCain, calling the military suckers and losers, uh, piling on the disabled. He could have been anti-immigration without cruelly separating babies from their mothers. All of those were gratuitous. All of them hurt them, and none of them were core to his essential populist message. If you had taken that stuff away, or for that matter, I think if he had been running against any of the Democrats that were in the race, probably other than Joe Biden, the most solid, the most conservative centrist of all the Democrats who were running, if his opponent could well have been any number of other people who were on that stage, uh, we could have had a second term of Donald Trump and uh, given the authoritarian uh, tendencies that he uh, expressed when he was subject to reelection, remove that. And I think it's Johnny bar the door. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think, um, I think he may have been able to do all of those self uh, self-inflicted things. And had he, just handled the COVID-19 crisis correctly. That should have been on the list, yes. His, his utter uh, lack of concern. He, he could have faked it a little better. Right. Did he that right. show, uh, just fake a little bit of concern. What we saw was, you know, trying to blow it up. That actually, that should have been on that list. That was brilliant. Uh, that, you know, just show a little bit, little bit of empathy. I mean, right. learn to fake it a little bit better. <laughs> well, I mean, the man obviously doesn't uh, have an empathetic bone in his body, but God, he could have learned to fake it a little better than that. That's, uh, that's what <laughs> a lot of these politicians have learned. And when you can, uh, when you can fake sincerity, you're in business then. Uh, and so <laughs> we should have done that. Um, yeah, it's just not in him, you know? Um, yeah, I think that's all of that. I agree with all of that. I think all of that's scary. I think it's, I think it's, it's a, for a, a few reasons though. Also it's, it's, it, there is this Trump base that is, um, that's hardcore within the Republican party, but then there's also the group, uh, it's a smaller portion of the Trump vote, but it's the Trump vote who, um, you know, they uh, they're very suspicious of the Democrats. Um, they're highly suspicious of the progressive side of the Democratic Party. And uh, and frankly, they feel that in their life, in their business uh, with tax cuts and things like that, that they've done OK. And so and the, and the, the lessening of regulations in the business community, things like that. So they're willing to overlook all of those things purely out of their own self-interest. And you combine this hard, rabid group of Trump uh, supporters with people who are willing to overlook apparently almost anything if they think it's in their own self-interest, and a and combine that with a fear that, um, you, know, you know, that Joe Biden couldn't handle this and it, it's going to be the far left who's going to control everything and uh, will we'll become socialists. Um, 
I think that that was the combination that. that do, was, do you think was, they really believe that about the left's going to control? Or are they just yeah. the convenient boogeyman that are easy targets? Well, I think a lot. Of, I think a lot of people uh, uh, believe that. I, I I do think there's. Um, they think Joe Biden is a socialist. No, they don't think he is necessarily. They just. I think they were persuaded that. Well, there's some people who were persuaded of that. Those are people who don't really pay attention because he has been around for 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's closer to 50. And yeah, he has yeah. been the mainstream of the Democratic Party, the, the conciliator, the 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 guy who's. Yeah. <laughs> but I do believe that that um, it, uh, that if you um, if, if you go around talking about um, everything's going to be free, uh, that we're, we want, uh, Sanders wanted prisoners in prison to be able to vote, uh, that, um, uh, we're, um, well, we want to defund the police, that if this is, it, it, that the more you talk about things like that, the more you give a safe space for people who maybe didn't like Trump and didn't, and really, uh, opposed many of the things that he did and certainly the way he acted, you gave them an excuse. That well, you know, uh, he's not that bad compared to what would be a a, a socialist platform. So I think that I, I think that's kind of how that worked. You know, conversely, uh, what we tried to do uh, on the Biden side and in Arizona was um, we had a large, large group of Republicans and our former Republicans and former electeds, from myself as Attorney General on down. Then we brought in who said it. Not only do we not uh, uh, support Trump, but we do support Joe Biden, and he's the right guy here. And you can trust Joe Biden, and he's not that guy. He's the guy we need right now. He's a guy who will listen to both sides, who will work with both parties. And then, and then Senator Flake came in, and then obviously Cindy McCain came in, and when Cindy came in, she came in a hundred percent. She didn't just say, hey, you can use my name, which would have been huge. She came in and did whatever was asked and campaigned hard. And all of that gave a safe space to this more moderate group of independents and Republicans who were looking for a safe space. And you saw that they didn't really follow through down ballot. Uh, because that was not what it was about. It was yeah, this not was about not a this was not a big Democratic victory. This was an anti-Trump vote sure. followed by at down ballot. Uh, most Republicans did reasonably well. Correct. So uh, what we were trying to do is say, okay, you don't have to give up the Republican Party, or you don't have to say you're going to vote all Democrat. Um, you know that's up to you. But in this race uh, for president. Yes, you need to feel very comfortable saying, I'm for Joe Biden. Don't leave a blank. Don't vote for somebody else. You got the right guy here. And that and, was in contrast to the sort of the halfway of, I think, Mitt Romney, who said, I won't vote for Trump. Yeah, 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 but, exactly. And he wouldn't yeah, say- But, but refusing to say what, you know, what, what he was going to do. Well, you know, when you're I'm in a- he vote, I'm confident he voted for Biden. I've heard that, yeah, that before. Yeah. He, he didn't want to say that, but but the rest of us, did say that, and I think consequently, you had a lot of uh, a lot of people who, when they went in there uh, to vote, or when they did it at their kitchen table, they said, "Yeah, oh, I'm tired of this total chaos, and let's get through four years, and then we'll see where both parties are." Then, yeah, I I, I think that uh, 
no doubt in my mind he actually voted for Biden, but I thought it was significant that he was unwilling to say so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's what I mean about the sort of tepid halfway. And, you know, in a primary, you can cast a symbolic vote or something. But but in a general election in this country, you have two choices. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I, I will say in defense of, of Mitt Romney, um, he did vote for impeachment. So yep. that was, that was yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was that, he, that Donald Trump shouldn't be there right yep. now. Okay. Uh, if he would have had his way. So that was big. And he has spoken out uh, post-election. Uh, he's one of the few that's spoken out. So, um, you know, I, 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 what I just urge people, um, I mean, they're, they're always disappointed that people don't do enough. I, I just be happy that you, you get you get what you get. Okay, it, 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 it takes some guts here to step up and do these things. And so when someone does it, I wouldn't be hypercritical that they didn't do it as much as you would have. Okay? This is this is true. If you were to rank order uh, the entire elected Republican establishment, you'd have to say that uh, that uh, Mitt Romney is uh, closer to the courageous end of it than the vast majority of his peers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have great respect for him. And, and that's a good example of, you know, you can be you can you can have great respect for a Mitt Romney and uh, a John McCain and um, and also have great respect for. Uh, uh, Joe Biden and for Kamala Harris and and listen to both sides and and maybe work together and and see if we can't solve some of these big problems that we have facing the country. I I think we can. That's that's been our past uh, when we were at our best. We'll talk about where we go from here with Grant Wood when we return on a final segment in the think tank. The think tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back talking with Grant Woods, among other things. I want to talk about where we go from here, but I, I would like to stay for just a minute on the what happens to the Republican Party. Uh, Republicans used to stand for a number of things. One was a muscular foreign policy. Uh, The policy was dominated by internationalists who favored foreign trade because we benefit from it. Before Ronald Reagan, they were against deficits. Now they seem only be against deficits when a Democrat is president. Rush Limbaugh spilled the beans on this when he said, you know, we really never cared about the deficit. It was just a way to go after Obama. There are uh, there's a a segment, I think, of the traditional Republican Party that are sort of wealthy industrialists who who love to see lower tax brackets for them. But uh, so now you have traditional conservatives who favored all of these things. And then what appears to be a majority of the voters in the current Republican Party who are the Trump populist, who are just on the opposite side of these. They they want to uh, pull back from foreign policy, spend a lot of money on the military, but don't use it anywhere. Uh, kill all foreign trade. Uh, they do seem, you know, they they've given the the industrialists their tax cuts. And I do remember about a, a year and a half into the uh, Trump presidency, that group was about to bail on Trump unless they got their tax cut and they got their tax cut. This this thing could have played out completely differently if they weren't able to pull that one off. So the question is. Is there any way the traditional conservatives and I said, because I think the base of the 
Republican Party right now, it's not really conservative. It's populist. The, there are real conservatives in there. George Will and folks like that, the intellectuals of left. But where does a conservative go now? Do they try to retake the Republican Party? They're certainly not going to take over the Democratic Party. Is it a third party? Where? Where do you go from here? And do they have a chance or are they just overwhelmed in numbers by the populists? Yeah, I, I think that's a very good question. I think it's I think that's um, unresolved. Um, uh, so, for example, let's just, you know, we're, we're in Arizona. Um, uh, Mark Kelly is our is our uh, junior senator from Arizona now. He's up in two years. Who do the Republicans run against him? Is it, um, could Doug Ducey win a primary right now? Uh, I don't know that he could win one. Or, or a general. He's really on his treatment of COVID. I think he was right. too yeah. subservient to the Donald Trump policy of hands off and, and we're dying. Right. So, I, you know, uh, so there's a guy who in the past has been a kind of a mainstream conservative guy. Uh, you know, he fit right in with the traditional Republican Party. And yet he decided for whatever reason to go all in for Trump uh, earlier this year, stayed all in for Trump. Then, uh, you know, tried to, I, here's what I, I think he finds himself in Jeff Flake territory. And the difference is Jeff Flake uh, managed to anger the right and the left based upon principle. Uh, Ducey seems to have done it based upon politics. And so you don't even get the attaboys for that. But you're still in the same boat. But clearly, could a Doug Ducey win a general? I don't know if he could win a general. Uh, could um, uh, could Gosar or Biggs or Kelly Ward win a general? Absolutely not. Zero chance. But they so could win a primary. Point. They could win a primary. And they could win a primary. Point. That's the point. So, so here your best candidate might be a Ducey or someone like him. But can they get out of a primary two years from now? I'm going to say it's going to be very difficult for them. And so consequently, and we'll have to see what happens in the governor's race and things like that. Consequently, I think it takes some time. And I think the main way the Republican Party survives, meaning uh, into the future and as a viable party in our state and ultimately around the country, is they get the hell beat out of them um, repeatedly for the next few years. And if they don't, uh, if it's uh, just kind of, they're hanging in there, they're doing okay, then I, then I think there's no room for the traditional Republican, for the conservative, truly conservative Republican. And ultimately, uh, I think that um, demographics and certain issues related to those demographics are a death knell uh, to the Republican party anyway. This is pre-Trump, but you can't be uh, you can't you, you can't be old school and anti-gay and bigoted and hate-filled and anti-immigrant uh, with anyone who's under the age of forty now, and hopefully people of good will who are over the age of forty. There is no future in that, and yet that's where the Republican Party has been going. You throw in the nonsense of um, of some of these people that I just named. Um, in Trump world, there is no future for them, ultimately. And they won't win in Arizona, um, and they won't win ultimately around the country. So they're going to have to, I, but I don't think they, to answer your question, can the, the flakes and the, the Ducies and those people of the world win back the Republican Party 
in the short term? I don't think so. I think it's going to be very difficult for them. Jeff Flake may look very good, but not for a while. Correct. That's what I'm saying. At some point in time, people are going to go, hey, you know, the point, uh, and I've always, I've always been bewildered by parties, Democrats as well. Believe me, they got their own problems. Mm-hmm. But the, the point of a political party, it seems to me, is to win elections. I don't, I don't know why they even exist if they're going to lose. Uh, I guess they, they, you know, some of them would rather make a point than win. But the point is to win. Then you can actually do something in office along the lines of what you believe in. That's the idea. And uh, it, however, these people may be uh, so entrenched uh, uh, right now, the Trumpers, uh, that they'll be bound and determined to nominate someone who cannot win. You know, that, that, interesting, your your position is kind of the George Well position, that for the Republican, now, of course, he's thinking of his Republican Party is an ideological, traditional conservative party, and he's saying for this group to reemerge, basically the current Republican Party, which is the Trump Party, has to get whooped. Yes. So that the true conservatives can come back. I agree with that. With this caveat, though, though, Mike, the the the, it's kind of like it's kind of like Biden right now. Uh, The president elect is like, okay, we wanted the idea. We're just going to get back to normal. Okay, that's one way to look at it. That's not how he's looking at it. We do want to get back to normal, but normal plus we want to be better. Okay, we want to uh, build back better. And so the Republican Party, look, when I was elected, I was elected on a, a pro-civil rights, pro-environment, a pro-consumer uh, platform, and I was I was re-elected with 80% of the vote. There is no reason the Republican Party can't be in favor of everybody being uh, treated equally. There's no reason the Republican Party can't be for reasonable uh, environmental protection and fight against climate change. If they can get into that sphere with their other traditional conservative views, they can win. If they don't, then even if they reject the Trumpers ultimately, then there is no long-term future given the demographics of this country. That's pretty far afield. Uh, You've got three premises there. Right now, the Republican Party seems to be in climate change denial. They seem to be in, uh, believe that the only way they can win elections is by suppressing the vote. And I forget what the third point was, but- uh, You're right, you're right. Teddy Roosevelt was a Republican. Abe Lincoln was a Republican. So the fact that people have perverted what it means to be a Republican does not mean that others who do have a sense of history and would like to see some sort of future uh, for this two-party system uh, can't say, you know what, we're better than this. You got 30 seconds. You want to you wanna amplify that? I just think, I, 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 I think they're going to have to be just beaten right now. I just think that's the way it is. But I would just urge people not to give up and not to give in. And I hope that that both parties uh, can avoid the extremes and come together for the next year, next two years, next four years, come together as Americans. We've got big issues facing the country and we can learn from people a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, and we can solve these problems because we're Americans. We've always solved these problems. We cannot do it divided. We can do it united. And that's the final word. Too bad. Well, we should come back and we should talk about that prognosis for the future. We talked about that privately, Uh, the potential of a core group of uh, moderate senators equally from each party who might be in a position to uh, direct the future of the Senate, regardless who wins in Georgia. And I hope to have you back to have that discussion. Grant Woods, it's been fun. 
Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.